You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Oh, that song. Wasn't that a good song? Uh, I touch the sky when my knees hit the ground. It just gives you this picture of that, you know, when we humble ourselves and we say, God, I, I don't know about you, but maybe, maybe you walked in here today and you had insomnia last night. Maybe you walk in here today and you just feel like, God, I'm just weak. And, and we admit that, God, when I'm weak, you were strong. And his word is unchanging. His statutes are unchanging. He is constant. He's always been. God has never been weak. He allowed himself to experience and be weak on our behalf. But there was strength in even that when he gave his life on the cross, right? And so maybe here today you say, I'm not coming to church because God's a crutch. Because God's not a crutch. God is a strength. And whether you felt strong today or you walk in feeling weak, you just say, God, I need you. That we just humble ourselves before you. We want to we find where you want us to fit. But that's just a beautiful picture. And, and maybe you feel weak. Like, how many of you just, uh, that you currently work in the area of your college major? Okay, it means all the rest of us don't. So good job. I mean, there's a lot of us here that, you know, we switch a lot of times, right? We're trying to find our fit. And maybe you're a senior in high school or you're going to enter that senior year right now. And, and maybe you just feel like, oh my goodness, I'm, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do with the whole rest of my life. But because school's starting back up, you feel like I'm supposed to know right now what I'm supposed to do with the whole rest of my life. And you don't know. You got you to find your shape. You got to find out what your gifts are and how that's going to work together in a way that earns money and makes a life for you. And, and it takes a while. It takes a process to do that. Some of you are reinventing yourself at work. You're reinventing your career maybe at this point in life. And you're discovering that again. What, what is my shape? What do I love to do? What are you calling me to do? And it puts us in a position where sometimes we feel weak, but it's in that weakness that we begin to rely on the Lord. We begin to find his strength, but it takes a process, doesn't it? It's interesting because for me, I remember I started working construction when I was 15, and I just worked every summer for the same guy, and then I switched one year to build my home church. I said, if I got to work construction all summer and our church is in the building project, might as well work to build my church. It was kind of fun. So I switched companies and uh, worked for them. But it was just interesting because I, that was a pretty decent fit for me. But in some of the off-season times, I decided, well, let me check into retail. How many of you work or have worked retail? Okay, uh, how many of you have or have worked fast food? In fast food, all right. And maybe for some of you, fast food is your fit. You're like, this is me, I love it. Others of you are like, I'll never work fast food again. You try it again, you're like, I don't want to smell like grease. I don't want grease to be on my clothing. I don't want it to be in my hair. And you said, that's not for me. Uh, I was in construction, but then I tried retail. I worked at Pacific Sunwear for some like, you know, holiday help. And then I worked another place for retail a little bit later on in life. And here's what I found real quick. I am not made for retail. It does not agree with me for who I am, like my leadership style. My personality worked out pretty good because I was good with people across, you know, from the register and I could help promote and sell things. But, but I, I had trouble just being in the same environment, you know, that same uh, store and in that little store. And it started shrinking in on me like every day, you know, and then I have to full close over and over. And I, I, I had no say in improving anything. It just was really weird for me. And so it didn't match my leadership style, but construction did. Because every day on the construction job, you have big, important decisions that need to be made. You have to measure things twice so that you cut once, but you're going to measure them twice to make sure they're right. Otherwise, there's big implications if you go through all the material and you have done it wrong. And so basically, there's big decisions that have to be made. And there's a lot of variety in what it was. And, and I just felt like I can, I can see what I'm doing with my hands. I can see progress actually happening. Because what I'm doing with my hands, at the end of the day, I can look and say, we accomplished something. 
And as I begin to understand my personalities, I begin to understand my gifts, my abilities, my experiences, and what we call our shape, all these different areas, your personality and then your experiences, I begin to realize that that was a pretty decent fit for me as far as having a summer job to earn money. And so I kept working construction and found it to be a pretty good fit. Uh, then I decided when I got to college, I said, you know, I had a great youth group experience. I had a great church background. I ought to go and help some church and, and do like youth work. I, I, you know, work with students. And so I began to investigate and look around at different uh, youth ministries nearby my school to say, where, you know, should I get involved in youth ministry? And I looked at a couple of senior high ministries and I was just checking those out. And then one day this guy came to class, he was a youth pastor and he began to share about his ministry. And God just really kind of made a connection, spoke to my heart and was like, you need to work for this guy. Cause this is not just a guy that you go and you do stuff for, but this guy will actually train you how to do the job. The only problem was he worked in junior high ministry. See, and I kind of felt like I was more of a senior high, cool kind of guy. I wasn't so sure about that whole junior high thing. But as I began to volunteer in that ministry, I, I began to find out that it actually was a pretty good fit. Like, junior high matched my energy level at the time. That junior high was a challenge for me because I had to take great, big, complex ideas, and, and I had to bring them down and make them clear. Now, please notice, I didn't say you take great big ideas and you dumb them down and hand them to some kid. You had to take big ideas that are true even theologically, and you had to make them complex, and you had to make them clear. I, I learned to play again as I was doing games and stuff with, with junior hires, and it was just a lot of fun. My personality work, my experiences in sports, my experiences uh, doing construction came in handy on mission trips where we were building homes. And I suddenly felt like this is actually a pretty good fit. And one of the things I love about junior hires, and maybe you don't know this about junior hires, but junior hires are not fully cool yet. They're just not. And one of the beautiful things about that is they don't actually think that they have it all together, or if they pretend like they have it all together, they still reveal through their questions that they don't. And they're teachable. Sometimes by the time you get to high school, you know, it's like, ah, I'm too cool, I got all together, I don't need to learn a thing. You teach me, and it's all about entitlement. But in junior high, sometimes... It was a good fit for me because we're taking these complex ideas about God and about the word, and we had to bring them down and make them clear. Do you, do you see what I'm still doing here at church? Take complex ideas about God, and I don't dumb them down. We bring them down and make them clear. There's a big difference. Here's a complex idea. Open your Bible, if you will, with me to Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 28. It says this, and we know... That in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Okay, we listen to this verse. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, been called according to his purpose. And some of you, as you think back over your life, as you think back over your experiences, as you think back over the things you've gone through, you go, really? How did God work good in that? How did God work good in this tough experience? Where was God when? And you begin to say, really, I, I don't understand. Is God supposed to work all experiences together for good? Is that how that's supposed to operate? But then we don't understand exactly what the verse is saying. You got to understand something about God, first of all. God loves you. God loves exactly how he formed you to be. He loves your personality. He's not expecting you to be like somebody else's personality. He loves your sense of humor. He loves the light in your eyes. He loves the sound of your laugh. In fact, he crafted you and formed you that when you laugh, you make the laugh that you laugh. He loves you and he loves who you as he has made you to be. And what he wants you to understand here today is that the key word in the verse we just looked at as it applies to your life is the word in. In 
all things, in the good, in the bad, in the downright ugly, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. See, sometimes we think that it's just God's supposed to work for our good all the time. The truth is life is relentless, but God is still good. And in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, which means that even in the, the bad, even in the ugly, even in the brutal, even in the incredibly hard things you're facing right now, that when you love God, when you are in love and in relationship with God, that he's going to work in that awful situation to bring some good out of it. He redeems situations in your life. He buys back what normally could just be bad and ugly and awful forever, and that's all it ever is. But when you love God, he brings good out of that situation. When you don't love God, if you're not in a relationship with God, if you don't care about God, he doesn't work for your good in all situations. In fact, life doesn't do that. Life is brutal. There are plenty of experiences you and I will go through that life doesn't care about your excuses. Life doesn't care about who you are. Life doesn't, it's not on your advantage. Life isn't. Life is relentless. But the truth is that God is good. And when you and I are in love with God, we have a relationship with God, he can take even the worst experiences and redeem them. So we don't want to waste our experiences. We don't want to waste the experiences that we have been through. You say, well, what kind of experiences? On your outline, you have some. And if you're not taking notes today, I highly would encourage you to. It's in your program. But on your outline, you'll see a couple things. You and I have relational experiences. There have been relationships that you've had throughout your lifetime. There have been people you dated. There have been people you worked with. There have been people all around where you have relational experiences. There also are educational experiences. Whatever your degree or level of education, you've got some experience there. There are spiritual experiences you've had. As you begin to seek God and as you begin to know God, there are vocational experiences that you had, work experiences that you've had, and there are also painful experiences that you and I have had. We basically walk through all these experiences and we say, how in the world could God use my history? How in the world could God use my experiences to help improve, to strengthen, or to make me the person that I am today? Any American Ninja Warrior fans in the room? Come on, give it, yeah, it's going on right now. I don't know if you know this, but one of my former youth group students from Colorado is one of the contestants right now, and he's actually been doing pretty well. His name's Dan Yeager, and I want you to watch the screen. Here's his submission video to be allowed to be on the show. Imagine this, you're five years old, you get put on a plane, you fly somewhere. When you land, everything's different. You don't know anybody, everyone's a different color, everyone's speaking a different language. This is what happened to me. When I was five years old, I was adopted from Korea. I was transported and flown to a different planet, and my life started in Colorado. Hi, I'm Daniel Yeager, 31. I live in Fort Collins, Colorado. I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a business owner, and I'm an avid rock climber. There are many things that have defined who I am in my life, but none more so than an event that took place on April 20th, 1999. What occurred on the morning of April 20th, 1999 changed my life forever. Being a Columbine survivor, I know firsthand the resiliency it takes to get through hard times and how to tackle obstacles head on. A little about me. I'm father to a beautiful wife, Sherry, and I'm uh, <laughs> a father to a beautiful. <laughs> I'm husband to a beautiful wife, Sherry, and I'm father to a, my son, Conrad, who's four. He's everything to me, and I want to teach him everything I know. It's important to me that I translate everything that I've learned in the past and to help him in the future and uh, teaching him the resiliency it takes to get through tough times as well. Hi, I'm Noah Kaufman. I'm the Ninja Duck. I just want you to know that my buddy Dan Yeager is one of the most talented athletes I've ever seen. 
and I think he's going to be one of the ninjas that can yeah. take it all Woo! down. Yeah. I'm actually kind of worried that he's uh, doing Ninja Warrior. It's going to be tough to compete against him. This is my wife and I's hair salon. Let's go check it out. Let's go check out the upstairs. Well, you guys coming or what? I have many skills that would help me on the American Ninja Warrior courses. I've been a winning poker player in Vegas. I'm a trained fighter. I'm an avid rock climber, and I love a challenge. Dan told me that uh, the day of the shooting at Columbine that he always, uh, all year long, sat at the same table in the cafeteria uh, with a bunch of other athletes who were kind of guys that Eric Harrison, Dylan Klebold were targeting at the time. And he would always sit at the same table and uh, with his back you know, to the, to the doors where actually Eric Harrison, Dylan Klebold came in. And on the uh, day of April 20th, 1999, he said, for some reason, Dave, because I can't even explain it, I was across the cafeteria sitting at a different table with my hat on backwards, with my back to them. When they came in the door, he said, they started throwing pipe bombs and shooting. And he said, we just got up and ran out of the, out of the cafeteria. And he goes, I can't explain that. And uh, a little while later, after the shooting, um, I'm just spending time with him. He's, he's in our youth group. He's one of our guys. And so we're at Park Meadows Mall in Highlands Ranch, and we're, we're walking uh, through the food court. And it's, you know, obviously it's like a cafeteria, right? We're walking through. It's busy. It's full of people. And a balloon goes off. And he just falls, like, to the ground. That post-traumatic stress disorder kicks in and just to the ground. And I thought he was going to start, like, sucking his thumb. I was going to, like, pick him up and, like, let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. And so we just totally left the mall and just walked with him and his family, walking through him, struggling with that post-traumatic stress disorder for some time. But you ask the question, how, how does God redeem something so awful as that? How does God use experiences like those in our life to be able to make us stronger? Are we supposed to just suppress those experiences? Are we supposed to shove them back and leave them there? Or does God want to do something more with the experiences in our life? See, we live in a world where we're very individualistic and we want to keep things a little bit private. And, and God is saying, listen, when I do something in you, I want to do something through you. And so he wants us to realize that when we're in the middle of tough experiences, not every time are we going to understand what God is doing. It, Dan would never look back at this time at Columbine and say, I understand at that moment that it was happening what it was going to develop in my life. He wouldn't understand at the time, would he? Jesus told his disciples in John 13, 7, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. At the moment, they wouldn't get it, but later with the, the Holy Spirit in their life, later on in their life, they would realize exactly what he was doing. And then in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph tells his brothers, his brothers, had, he'd had a horrible family experience. His brothers had sold them away. They were jealous of him. They didn't like him. They sold them away into slavery. And years later, now his brothers come before him and he's in a position of authority. They are in a position of need. And he reveals who he is to them. And he says this, he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. What was Daniel doing? 
Daniel's just reflecting a life that says, no matter what bad experiences I go through, God in all things, even these hard, bad experiences, will work for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And he reflects that back at those who once harmed him. See, God never wastes a hurt. You're not intended to suppress those down, to shove them away, to do those kind of things. God doesn't waste a hurt. We, we've got to extract the lessons. So not only do we embrace our experiences, but secondly, we extract the lessons. That God wants to basically help us understand what the process is later on that he's been doing in the experiences you and I have been through. Second Corinthians chapter 13, Paul says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. What's he saying? You and I are to live an examined life. We're not just to be carried along by life, but we're to live an examined life, to look and say, what has been happening? Where am I being strengthened? What am I learning from the experiences? We need to extract the lessons that are found in different experiences that you and I have. And so we ask some questions, and we put them on your, on your program right there. Number one, how did I fail? You say, I want to grow. Great. First way to grow is understand how you fail. You might not realize it, but you typically fail in the same way every time. When you think of your big experiences, when you think of the thing that keeps having control of your life, you're going to realize that you keep failing the same way every time. There is the same pattern that goes on up to the point where you fail. Internal influences, external influences, triggers that happen. You and I fail the same way every time. So we need to understand what is it that caused me fail? How I need to live and examine life. What is going on? Because if I can understand what the pattern is, then I have a chance at getting support and I have a chance at changing that pattern so that I begin to experience success. How many of you know somebody who keeps going to job after job after job after job and they keep losing job after job after job and they can't seem to see it, but everybody else around them might be able to see it, right? It's helping. We got to live and examine life. How did I fail? Next, you might ask, what did I like about that job? Or what did I like about that class? What did I like about that event? You begin to say, why did that match my shape? Why did I have such a good experience with that? Why did it match who I am? And you begin to live an examined life. You extract the lessons. And then you may say, well, what about that experience made me grow? What about that experience made me grow? Why did you grow in that? What were the things that made you stronger? What were the things for Daniel? What about the shooting at Columbine and that having to grow up in a very fast, short amount of time? What about that made him stronger? What about it made him a survivor? What made him resilient about that? What did it mean when he had to walk through survivor's guilt? See, the idea is this. It should be this way, right? That the longer we live, the wiser we become. Hopefully, some of us know people that the longer they live, it doesn't seem like they become any wiser, and they're confused, and they're like, I don't understand why I failed in this, or why this happened then, and you're going, we do, you should have learned by now, and now you as maybe a son or daughter are having to counsel a parent above you and say, this is why you're a mess, and then you can say, this is why I'm a mess, because we all live messy lives, don't we? Otherwise, you and I have to live the same lessons, if we will, over and over and over again until we learn. We've got to extract the lessons so that we become wiser the longer that we live. And there are different ways to do it, to live and examine life. Some of you may journal. You like to write. You're, you're just wired that way. And it might be that, and again, journal is not a diary. It's not like, dear diary, today I learned. That's not what it is, right? A journal is, is basically you're interacting with God. It's saying, 
here's this experience I went through, and these are some things I'm learning about. In fact, I thought that experience was always bad, always awful, nothing good can come from it. But God, I am beginning to see now what I had no idea you were doing then. It's beginning to live in an exam life. You might journal. Others of you, you might say, hey, I, I am so verbal. I want to just, I want to interact with somebody who's a trained counselor. And you want to get some counseling and just be like, I, I need to work beyond this. I want to extract what lessons I learned from it. And so you might go get Christian counseling. Others of you might attend CR and just say, you know, there's some areas where I've got to understand me better. So I've got to understand my hurts, my habits, or my hangups. And so I'm going to go to CR. And maybe some of you are going to go like, now that I've gone to CR, I need to get into a step study where I actually work on changing the patterns that have caused some of these problems that I keep falling into in my life. And so you begin to, to realize and process with community, with other people, and understanding what that can look like. And some of you are just going to ask God to teach you. God, teach me. Teach me the lessons in this season of my life right now. Help me be able to extract the lessons and see as I process some of these experiences in my past. Teach me to know myself better. You know me completely. He knows the number of hairs on your head. For some of you, it's not so much. But for other of you, it's a lot. He knows the number. But he knows your heart and your inside way more. He knows you intimately. And you want to say, God, help me to know me. Teach me. So not only do we embrace our experiences and extract the lessons, but we need to employ them to help others. What are we supposed to do with all of our experiences? We're to employ them to help others. Paul said it this way in Philippians 1, 2. He said, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now notice he didn't say what most people in America would say. Most people in America would say this, for me to live is all about me and to die I'm not sure. Maybe I get to rest. That's not what the scriptures would teach, is it? And what Paul is saying, listen, the whole point of living, as long as I'm in this flesh, in this body, having experiences, using my shape, using my giftedness, what I want to do is if I'm living, it's going to be for Christ. And should I die, it would be to gain. It would be for gain. I'm now in the presence of Christ. I'm freed from this body of death. That's what he's saying. He's living that way. It's not just hoarded all to yourself. It's really for the benefit of others. And so what do you do? You need to share your experiences. Now, this is what typically happens. If you're a parent in the room, what typically happens is your kids are going through something and all of a sudden an experience pops into your brain and you begin to give them the experience lecture. You tell them exactly what you learned and how you exactly understand what they're going through right now because you were once there yourself. They cannot picture that. And then, you know, you begin to explain to them and their eyes glaze over and they, give, they put their hands on their hips and they give you that whole look and they're just like... Now, if you explain the same experience with a friend, they would be like, that is awesome. And they would like learn so much, be taking notes or something. But with your kids, they're like... <laughs> captive audience, you know, they're just waiting for the car ride to be over. Thank you, right? We're to extract our experience and we need to employ them to help others. But there are times that sometimes our kids feel like we all of a sudden pull out this experience that we never heard about before right at that moment. And we need to extract the lessons and help our children understand that in the experiences that they're going through, God is wanting to teach them lessons. He's wanting to grow them where they're at. And we can come alongside and be like, I am so excited to discover what lessons God wants to teach you in this experience. See how different that would be to your teenage son or daughter? How different? God loves you that much. He wants to do it, and we come alongside and use our experiences to employers. But there's other people. You've got to find out the appropriate place to share your experiences. For some of you, you basically just got to realize that, that you need to use these for the benefit of other people, that God is going to take a message, make a message out of your mess. And some people may say, well, that sounds a little cliche, but here's the truth, that sometimes the people who have impacted you the most 
impacted you the most because they didn't live a perfect life. They lived a bit of a messy life and their authenticity and transparency about their worst failures, their biggest mistakes were the things that impacted you the most where you're at. And yet in our culture, we want to say, well, I want to be a little private. I want other people to understand where I am and what I'm going through at this time. God wants you to employ them to help others. You need to, some of you, you need to share your testimony. You've kind of told your story a little bit about how you came to Jesus, but you've not like written it down or shared it in a way where in a very short amount of time, you could share your experience with Jesus in a, in a simple two-minute illustration with somebody else. You need to finish your testimony. Some of you have been through CR. You need to finish your testimony. You've gone through a step study. You need to finish your t- testimony because God wants to do things in you and through you. And some of us in this room, we will resist volunteering because we think if I get more involved in the church, if I volunteer and use my shape, then people are going to get to know the real me. And you're afraid because you're messy. But I got to tell you, we're a messy church. The whole point of the church, the church is not for the perfect. They don't belong here. The church is for the perfected. Those who, because of Christ's perfection, have been imparted to us as we are messy people. Listen, our church, we need your messy story along with my messy story and our staff's messy story and all our volunteers' messiness. We need to be the church that's being perfected and working together for good. If you're a perfect person, don't go looking for the perfect church. Because in short order, they'll find out you're not perfect and you will mess it up. (laughs) We're not perfect. We need your story. And there's plenty of room here for us to be messy together. Your real life experiences need to be employed in this place. You need to employ them to help others. Well, how do we do that? Let me give you four ways to do that if you're taking notes today. The first one is use them to minister to others. Do you realize that the word minister and the word to serve or the word to volunteer, it's the same word? So when you talk about ministering, how do I use my experiences to minister to others that we are intended to use what we have experienced in a way that serves someone else for their benefit, not just to serve, you know, hey, I got to tell my story and impress everybody. No, it's, it's you use them to serve someone else where they're at. How does that work? 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Let me just pause right there. What he's saying is this. Listen, we get needy. We say, when I fall on my knee, I touch the sky. When I fall on my knees, we get needy before the Lord, and we think that it works this way. We think, God, we say, God, I'm needy. I, God, right now, I need strength. I feel weak, and God, I need your comfort. And what happens is we come before the Lord and say, God, comfort me. And so God brings comfort to us, and we say, thank you so much. And we think we're supposed to keep it all for ourselves. And Paul says, no, listen, just in the same way that believers across the world share in sufferings, They also share in comfort. So when God comforts us, he intends to do it to say, listen, I comforted you. Now you take that comfort and you extend that comfort to someone else and they'll receive it as if it's the comfort of God. Just like when the right person came alongside you at the right time and gave a right word and gave a right relationship to you at the right time that you knew that was not just this person that God sent this person in your life. That God is saying, listen, when I give you comfort, it's intended that you share comfort to others in the same way that when suffering comes in our lives, we share that together. Your credibility goes way up when somebody discovers that you have similar experiences, right? I mean, that's how we learn, right? That uh, your credibility goes way up, that you actually went through something similar and you made it. And people learn that way. They go, I need to know 
that someone else has gone through something similar to what I'm feeling and experiencing right now. Like you think nobody else knows the magnitude of what you're going through, but then the credibility of somebody goes way up when you find out they've gone through something similar and they've made it. It's really how we learn, right? How many of you in here love roller coasters? Roller coasters are just a bomb, right? How many of you do not prefer roller coasters? All right, a whole bunch of us. Now, you see, here's the difference. How we learn is, is I, I don't know if you've noticed this, how this works, but roller coasters, uh, you know, when, when they take off, you're standing in line there, and they put the people in there, and then they lock them in like sardines, and then they take them off. And what happens is they always scream when the roller coaster takes off, right? It's like, ah! And they, but what happens is the roller coaster goes away. So to everybody standing in line, it sounds like when someone falls off a cliff, right? Ah! Is what you think in your head, and you're like getting intimidated, and you're scared. And you might be really scared of the roller coaster, but what, you're, what you realize is that roller coaster goes all around, and then it comes back, and the people get off, and they lived. And you say, whoo! You, know, you think, why didn't they just park the roller coaster and let people off somewhere else where we don't see them? They know that you're afraid in line. So they bring them back and you see, hey, these people actually, they survived the trip. And if they survived the trip, maybe I could survive the trip. And then some dude gets up and is like, that's awesome. I'm going to go five more times. And you're like, okay, if that guy could do it, I could do it. Now you are still a little concerned when you see a few empty seats and you're hoping that maybe they just didn't fill up the row, right? But that's how we learn. When you and I learn that someone's in grief, that they've lost somebody significant in their life, they begin to say, well, if you made it through, Maybe I can make it through. When someone else has gone through an ugly divorce and you're in the middle of it and you say, well, if, if they made it through in that, maybe there's hope for me. When you realize that somebody else has been diagnosed with cancer and that they've struggled through cancer and that they're a survivor of cancer and it might be in remission and it, it certainly changes your whole outlook on life when you've gone through an experience like that and when you get diagnosed and it seems like life has come to an end because of that diagnosis and you see that someone else has survived, maybe you too could make it through what happens when you're widowed, what happens when you're separated. We need the example of other people. We're to use our experiences to minister to others. When you are a business person and you incur a huge financial loss, when you're a person and you just say, hey, we just didn't spend well and we're in huge debt, when you realize that you're not alone, that there's other people in those similar experiences and they've worked it out, they've made it through, they didn't come to the end of their life, then you realize, well, maybe I can. Maybe I can too. So we need to use our experiences to minister to others. And then we need to use them to motivate others. What does motivate mean? Motivate basically means get them in motion. Because we get paralyzed, right? We get paralyzed by fear. And what I've heard is this, that a lot of times people will take the acronym of fear, and you know what it stands for? False evidence appearing real. But what happens? We're afraid. We're afraid of like the worst case scenario, and it's nothing close to that, but we're too close to it. We can't see it any other way, and we're paralyzed by fake evidence, false evidence appearing real. And sometimes we just need someone else to come along and help us see with clarity, Someone to come along and help get us in motion because we're paralyzed by our fears. So Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. We're to build one another up. Not just take our experiences, keep them all to ourselves and say, Thank you, God, for building me up. But now being built up, we're to build one another up. Our experiences are needed in the body. Do you realize that? That your experiences are needed in ministry to other people here. And when we hold them close to ourselves, then we're doing a disservice to people who are asking God for that answer to prayer in their life that just might be what you learned as you extracted lessons from your experience. 
Well, how do we do that? How do we, how do we build people up? How do we, we motivate them? How do we get them in motion? There's three things on your outline. First of all, we motivate people by giving them hope. They just need to believe, right? Just give me hope. If you can give a person 10% hope, you don't have to give them 100%. Just give them 10% because in their situation, they're hopeless. Give them the hope. Some of you are so afraid to share your faith because you feel like, I got to give them 100%. No, you don't. Give them 10%. Jesus will fill in all the rest. Just give them a little hope in Christ. Let him deal with it. You're not the Savior. He's the Savior. He's the Holy Spirit. But what do we do? We got to share our experience. Give people 10%. Give them hope. Secondly, help them overcome their fears. Get them in motion. Motivate them. Third, motivate them from your personal experience. If you did it and survived it, maybe I can too. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Now, brothers and sisters, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. Remember, they were playing favorites and they were saying, well, you know, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos and they're my favorite preacher. And they were going on and just saying, this is who I, I follow. I'm going to model that. And Paul's saying, listen, I'm not Christ. I didn't die for you. Neither did Apollos. So he's saying, listen, I've applied this, these things to myself, to my own life, and Apollos. Why? So it will benefit you. So you stop competing and comparing over us. You stop putting on a human person the characteristics that you expect of God because there's one God, there's one good shepherd, and it's none of us in this room. And then he says, listen, so that you may learn from us. In other words, what you've seen in us and what you've seen us apply with each other, now you apply for your benefit. See, some of you in this room, you go, well, how, how does that work? I just recently read a book. It's a pre-release book. A friend of mine who's a pastor in Southern California, he's actually preached here about five years ago when we were in the, in the, uh, the high school auditorium. And uh, my friend's name is Caleb, and he just wrote a book. Caleb grew up uh, in an LGBT family, and uh, his mom had a girlfriend. His parents split when he was young. His dad later revealed that he was uh, living a gay lifestyle. And, and Caleb grew up going to marches. He grew up going to all the parties. He grew up being loved by people very closely who were living alternate lifestyle. And, and he, they went in a march one time, and there were people who proclaimed to be Christians who had horrible signs in their hands, and they, they had filled up water guns with urine. And they were spraying them on the people marching by. And this is like 20 years ago. And, and he just remembers, I, I hate these people. I mean, how could, how could people do that to people? And so he said, here's what I'm going to do. He got into high school and he said, I'm going to be like a ninja. I'm going to go to a Bible study. And so he went to a Bible study and he said, I'm going to find out everything about them so I can dismantle their arguments and show them just how fake they are. And it was during that time that he began to fall in love with Jesus Christ and as he began to unpack the scriptures, he began to find out that God loved him. Now, the people he was hanging around who called themselves Christian were so different than the people who had signs and water guns. And he gave his life to Jesus, and he had to come back and tell his parents. And you can imagine, one of them grounded him, the other one yelled and cried and went to her room and slammed the door. It was not a happy time to, to be able to say, I became a Christian, I got baptized. And it was so intimidating in his life. But he says this in his book, and I thought it was really good. He said... If you become a Christian and, and maybe you're, you're, uh, you've come to Christ, you, you've been exploring, but you've been living whatever lifestyle uh, you've been in, and you have come to become a Christian, you've loved Jesus, you realize you surrender your life to him, but in the context of doing that, you, you, you're, you realize in your experience you're gay or you're struggling with same-sex attraction. And he's saying, listen, now how do, you, how do you do that? You become a Christian, you fell in love with Jesus, but now how do you, how do you walk through those intense feelings 
How do you walk through that thing that is such a drastic change of what you know and people you love and care about and the lifestyle that you've lived? And how do you begin to submit that to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the truth of Scripture, not watering it down, but how do you submit to that? And are there options out there? Are there other people who've experienced the same intensity as you're feeling who have also submitted their lives to Christ and walked in a way that's healthy? And begin to say, listen, there, there are possibilities. You find somebody in the church who's experienced something similar. You talk to one of the pastors. You talk to people who might direct you to somebody in that same situation. You say, listen, some of them are going to say, listen, I understand what the scriptures say. I understand my lifestyle. I understand my attractions. And I've chosen to live a celibate life to honor the Lord. So I can honor the Lord and I still deal with my attractions. Other people say, listen, I got to the point where I married my best friend, member of the opposite sex, and, and we were best friends, and, and we just said, you know what, you know, this is, I still have some same-sex attraction, but I'm going to go ahead and marry. In that situation, God began to redeem some of those things. Doesn't mean they don't ever feel that stuff anymore. As long as they're in the body, they may feel some of those things, but they begin to say, I will submit my life to Christ as I walk through a messy life, Right? It's a beautiful way to do it. See, it helps others from going, being stuck or being judged and getting in motion to make right decisions. Let me tell you, at Sun Grove Church, we'll do whatever we can to help come alongside you to motivate you to make a right decision. We'll be available to you as you're comfortable with because we're messy people and so are you. But we hold to the truths of Scripture and we want to submit our lives to Jesus Christ. Others of you in the room and you're thinking, well, that sounds kind of odd, but you've come to Christ. And you've got to come to grips with your addiction to porn. And you've got to come to grips with the way that your sexuality, whether, it's in, whether you've expressed it in a homosexual or a heterosexual way, outside the bonds of marriage, you've got to begin, how am I going to submit to that? How am I going to work through that? I've got to find some other people in my life who've experienced things and walked through it and made choices in their life to change their habits, change their behaviors in a way to honor Christ. We motivate people to make right decisions for Christ. Third, if you're taking notes, use them to model for others. Join together, Paul says in Philippians, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. In other words, find some good models in your life, keep your eyes on them. You're gonna learn as you watch. It's the same thing athletes do when they visualize performance. They've spent hours looking at film, watching how people successfully pull tricks, how people successfully make plays, how people successfully operate a defense. And as they do that, they learn by watching in the same way saying, listen, you watch me. And if I'm not present with you, you watch others who live as we do. Get some models in your life, begin to watch their example. And you and I, we model our life for others. But to do that, we got to let them see us and do life with us, right? You got to spend some time relationally. He said this in uh, Titus chapter three, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. What's he saying? You and I should not just be all about ourselves or live an unproductive life, but that we earn what we can and then we share with others who are in need. In fact, I, I gotta tell you something. You don't retire from volunteering. See, some of you, you'll sit back and be like, hey, listen, in my early years when I was young and a lot of energy, I paid my dues. I did junior high ministry, whatever you thought, you're right. But you don't retire from volunteering. In fact, you might retire from your job, which means that you have some income per month that might actually enable you to live your calling, to continue serving the Lord and minister with him. Uh, some of the greatest examples I can give you are Don and Linda Snyder. They have served in our children's ministry and they were in there teaching and doing things. But Don for years worked uh, building gym floors, gymnasium floors. And his hands were getting so painful as he worked with kids and he, he couldn't get down on his knees. And he's, he's like, how do I keep serving in the children's ministry? Uh, but, but I just can't teach the classes and do this stuff I used to. My body is failing me. So what do they decide to do? They decide to hand out candy to kids. 
and they were just some of the best children's workers we have. They just love on kids. Yeah, give it up for them. They're probably, they're probably out there somewhere right now. They've been loving on your kids. They just are such a warm and welcoming thing, and they get the candy out that the children's ministry provides for them to give the candy out. So they do, they, they're like, I can't do maybe the extent of what I did, but I'm going to continue. You don't retire from volunteering. You continue to live your calling. Use them as a model to ourselves, huh? Amen? Awesome. And the last thing we do is we use them to mentor others. We use them to mentor others. John said this in 1 John 1, 3. John, an eyewitness of Jesus, by the way, later in life, said, we proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. He's saying, I'm an eyewitness to the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now as an eyewitness, I'm telling you, I don't just keep it to myself and say, there's a real God, and then just keep it to himself. He's saying, no, what I'm supposed to do is take what I've seen and heard, and I'm telling you for your benefit so that you may also serve and love Jesus Christ. When you mentor somebody, they want to know three things. It's there on your outline. They want to know what's my role, my goal, and my soul. What's my role? What am I to do in life? In other words, what's my identity? Who am I? Secondly, what am I accomplishing in life? That's my goal. What should I be accomplishing? What big things should I have going on that I need to be motivated to that currently maybe I do not? And third, who am I to become in life? What about my inner man? What about my inner woman? Who am I to become? You know, when I worked with young adults, we worked, and I understand the limits, the, 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 you know, I understand the limits of the pulpit. Uh, I understand that it's when you go deep with people in their lives that you really make the greatest impact. And I've been preaching for a couple of years of young adults. And then finally, I just was like, okay, I'm starting a men's group. I will walk any of you guys into manhood. There's no sign up. You got to come find me. And we just walk and we begin to uh, work with these guys and walk through manhood. They're some of my best friends. But what do they want? We found that the hook, particularly with millennials, is that they want to know who's going to walk me into manhood. Who's going to walk me into womanhood? Because our culture has separated everything. We separate so much, right? We don't get the older people with the younger people. And we separate all. You're, like, like your greatest wisdom is going to come from your peers. Not. <laughs> Sorry, get somebody older than yourself. Ask them. They've got more life experience. They've seen things from a different perspective. They have a higher 30,000 foot view compared to us when we're in our young adulthood, right? We need one another. You might say, oh, how do I, how do I get involved in mentoring at Sun Grove Church? When a person makes a decision for Christ on the weekend, they give us their information. What we do is we pair them up with somebody who will walk them through a booklet called Operation Timothy. And it's just the foundations of faith in Christ. It helps them understand the decision that they made. They'll meet at Starbucks or wherever, and, and they'll just be able to start going through that. You could mentor somebody for just a very short amount of time, maybe six or 12 meetings, depending on how you want to set it up. Maybe for you, it's you get involved in the women's mentoring. And you say, hey, I want to either be a mentor or I want to be a mentee. And we have a uh, women's ministry that uh, deals with that very strongly. They do a great job. You might say, I want to uh, mentor an underprivileged student at Franklin Elementary School. And so you get together with Shoulder to Shoulder, we talked about last week, and you begin to mentor them. Maybe for you, you're saying, hey, I want to, I want to mentor in the kids' ministry, in the youth ministry. Maybe some of you in the room, you're saying, hey, I, uh, we're looking, by the way, at developing a men's ministry this year. And we're identifying what's that identity piece and then the mentoring piece, the formation piece and that. And you may say, hey, I want to be a part of that. When that thing launches, I, I want to be a part of that and how God would use it to grow me and then let me, having grown, be able to impact other people. You can mentor. You might want to work with our young adults. You might want to work with our, our kids, our youth ministry. Proverbs 25, 12 says, like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is the rebuke of a wise judge to a listening ear. Question is, do you have a listening ear? When people come and say, Dave, I need advice. And then I come and I'm like, okay, what do you need? And I tell them and they just kind of look at me with a blank stare and then they tell me everything about their whole problem. They just, and they're not teachable. Man, the person who comes in is like, hey, I need some advice. And you say something, they like pull out something, they write it down. 
They're like, whoa, they're serious about this, right? Way different in how they hear. Let me ask the question, when you ask people for advice, how willing are you to be a listening ear? Job said, I thought age should speak, advanced years should teach wisdom. Let me tell you, are your years advanced? You should teach wisdom. Later he said, ask the former generation and find out what their ancestors learned, right? There's value in getting the generations together. Find out what someone else here did. You might be in a situation where you're living together. You know you're living in some sin right now, and you, you like your living situation, but you realize it's not right. It's not a right thing that we're doing, and, and God wants us to make some tough decisions and do things right. And so find somebody who's been in that situation. You go, we were, we were living together, and then we had to make some changes, and integrity was costly. But integrity bought us what money can't, honor from God and self-respect. And they begin to see that as I began to make tough decisions in my life and honor the Lord, there is such an internal impact there. And they understand the huge emotions that accompany making some right decisions. Help you overcome your fear and motivate you. If you're young in this room, let me just tell you, Timothy, Paul told Timothy this, and I think we pass it on to you. He says this, you can be an example. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Some of you are here today and you're the only member of your family who comes to church and you are modeling for people older than you. Maybe it's your mom, maybe it's your dad and you're modeling for them what it looks like to live a life where you are following Jesus Christ in a messy way. And they're watching. And you set an example. It doesn't matter what the culture says, it doesn't matter what generations say, but it matters as you begin to walk with the Lord that you're setting an example in how you talk. You're setting an example in your conduct. You're setting an example in how you love other people. You're setting an example in faith and in purity. I mean, can you imagine for a minute the people of Sun Grove Church working and walking together to impact the generations for the building up and strengthening of kids and students and families and singles and young and old adults? What would the legacy of your life be? I, I want to have a legacy <laughs> in my life. What's yours? want to have a legacy. What do you want to do? It's so interesting. Dan Yeager, who, who basically was there on, on the video, when we were uh, in, doing youth group, he was an early high school student, and we did an advanced backpack trip. And so he's got this huge backpack, and, and we do an amazing trip. We basically go from like, uh, we do 3,000 feet of elevation gain in a little over six miles, and it's a brutal thing. We'd like pick up dogs, certain parts of the trail, because the dogs couldn't make it up, parts of the trail. That's how, and we have huge backpacks on. And then we get up there, and then we hike some 14,000-foot mountains once we're uh, up there on some of our day hikes. And we're on this advanced trip, and we get up there at 11,500 feet, and we get to this lake, and then it's got this cliff that drops off, and it looks down about 2,000 feet, and it's beautiful, and we're so tired, and we're feeling the effects of the altitude. And Daniel goes over, sets down his big pack, he unzips the top, he pulls out an entire watermelon. <laughs> and he breaks it on a rock, and he starts sharing it just because he could. Oh, to be young again, right? Some of you have been carrying around a watermelon. You've got a lot of experiences. It's time to break it out. It's time to share it. It's time to be the church because there's a world that exists without hope right now. And the progresses of the world don't give us more hope. But there's hope in Jesus Christ and there's hope in the life experience you have. So I would encourage you, volunteer, discover your shape, live for something greater than yourself. But the first step is knowing hope. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we're so grateful that you're here with us and that you love us. God, I know that in this room right now, there are some who've never given their life to you. There are some who need you desperately. And God, I know we're, we're pushing the time here. We're going over, but I, don't, I want to slow down right now for this. That if there's anybody in the room who just says, today is a day I need Jesus and you'd like to submit your life to him, you'd like to give your life, that there is hope for the forgiveness of your sin in Christ. There's hope of new life in Christ. If you'd like that in your life, then you pray a prayer where you're seated right after me like this. Jesus, today, I give my life to you. 
I ask you to come into my heart, make me a new creation. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin, that you were buried in the grave, that you rose to new life, and that you were God. And so today, God, I'm saying yes to you. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.